This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. For as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pesavento, and each week we share mindset tips and real estate investing strategies to help you grow your business and your portfolio. And today I'm very excited. I've got a very special guest, Kevin Bupps in the studio with me. How are you doing today, Kevin? Stephen, I'm doing amazing, my friend. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to have you back, and I'm really excited to share a new book that you've finally put together to share some of those lessons that you've been learning uh, for, for years, 500 <laughs> plus interviews of people and finally some of those lessons down in one place. What's the book called for listeners? It's called The Cashflow Investor, you know, how to create financial freedom investing in commercial real estate. So that's awesome. Cashflow investments is what it's all about, my friend. <laughs> it is. Cash flow is what it comes down to. Grow that equity and then create cash flow. And for those of you who don't know, Kevin, he's a Florida-based real estate investor, uh, big podcast host, been in the game for a long time, uh, and a serial entrepreneur who has over $250 million of real estate transactions under his belt. And he's operated in a bunch of different niches from apartments to single family to office to self-storage to parking and a lot of others in between. And so today we're going to be diving in to what is the cash flow investor? Why is it important to have cash flow as a key part of your portfolio strategy and some other great lessons? So, mm -hmm. if you're uh, interested in passive investing or you're actively investing and you're looking to start making a transition to actually creating what that passive income life is all about, today's episode is definitely for you. So, Kevin, tell us a little bit about what led you to this path of putting all these lessons down onto paper. You know, that's a great, great question, Stephen. You know, the book is a, it's a compilation of, of my 20 plus years of experience as a full-time real estate investor. Lots of, lots of uh, lessons I've learned along the way, lots of struggles, lots of challenges, and lots of, uh, of victories as well. And so it's, it's, it's part that, and it's also part the lessons that I've learned personally from the, you know, 500 plus interviews that I've done through my real estate investing uh, for cash flow podcast that I've been hosting now for over eight years. And so I've interviewed uh, some incredibly successful commercial real estate investors uh, and I've learned a ton over those years. And so I kind of compiled all that and put it together into this book. And, you know, the, the reason behind it really is it, I've been, and I was always an early adopter of education, getting into the real estate space, reading as many books as I could, um, listening to podcasts when podcasts finally came out. You know, before that, it was just cassette tapes. You, you don't, you're too young, Steve. You don't remember that. But anyway. Oh, um, I remember. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. And um, making mixtapes back in the day. That's it. That's it. Absolutely. And so, you know, I've always been a student of education and just learning from others that have been there and done that. And, and I surely wouldn't be where I'm at today if it, if it wasn't for that. I mean, I, I had a mentor early on. I've had many over the years, but one mentor that, you know, is the person that introduced me to, to real estate, David. Um, I write about him in his book uh, quite, quite a lot. And again, I don't know where I'd be at in this world if it wasn't for meeting David. And so this book is really, uh, it's, my, it's, it's my extension of what I've already been doing with the podcast. You know, I started podcasting um, just really to give back. And I, I thought that back then when I started it, that there was information out there that I was seeking that wasn't yet in the podcast realm. You know, there's many other podcasts out there today that 
share similar um, topics and strategies that I do on my show. But eight years ago, that didn't exist. And I figured that if I was looking for that information, there's many others as well that were looking for that information. And so I thought that I would start that show and, mm. and help others. Um, give them guidance uh, where they had voids in their business, mm. where they're just getting started or looking for um, better ways to leverage their skill set and, and, their, and their capital by, again, investing in commercial real estate. And so this book has just become an extension of that. I mean, I, re- I, I, found, um, I found that I really enjoy helping others. And, you know, just like I'm sure you get, uh, you get emails from your show. I mean, you're out there, you're impacting tens of thousands of people. Over the last eight years, I've received uh, countless emails and letters and just feedback from the listener base, you know, stating of how I helped them throughout whatever part of their journey they were in, um, in real estate. And again, the show specifically is geared towards cash flowing commercial real estate asset classes. And uh, ultimately, again, the book is an extension of that. So well, I think I enjoy it's helping it's- others. It's, it's so powerful because when you put yourself in a position to be able to go out and share what you learn, you actually end up going into learning that material from a different place because when you're going to go and teach it, you actually have to learn it at a much deeper level. So I've personally found, it sounds like you found as well, that, that your ability to be a practitioner improves actually through the process of teaching. And so, you know, you've been, you know, 500 plus uh, interviews, millions of downloads, you know, I'm following your footsteps. I'm learning from some of the best here, but tell me, you know, I'm a big believer in going out and creating cash flow, that passive income. And I really also believe in the power of being able to create equity growth, appreciation. You know, what is the cash flow investor and how should someone really kind of position this in their mind? Yeah, no, that, that that's a great question. You know, I, my definition of a, of a cash flow investor, um, it's it's someone you know who is who's leveraging again for the topic of this conversation. They're leveraging cash flowing commercial real estate investments, and you know there's many different asset types that fall underneath the commercial realm. But you know, for, again, for the purpose of this discussion, someone who's leveraging cash flowing commercial real estate investments to not only build wealth but really to to create you know the freedom and the lifestyle that they desire for them and, and, you know, for their family, whatever that might be. And, and it's really to, to stop trading their time for money um, mm. and, and, and leveraging these cash flowing assets so that they can get their life back and again, build the life of their dreams. And, you know, I, I can tell you what that, like, what does that mean for me? And it means something different for everybody. For me, man, family is not, family is absolutely number one for me. You know, my, my kids, I've got a five and an eight year old, uh, love my wife to death, love my kids to death, love my in-laws. I mean, it just, I'm a family guy. I, I, you know, I know that every day that goes by is a day I'm not getting back with my wife or my kids. And, um, you know, before I had kids, everyone told me just, you know, enjoy every moment because they're going to grow up so fast and you're like, well, whatever. And then now it's happening to me. And so for me, it's about, building a portfolio of cash flowing assets that give me the freedom and time for me, time's incredibly important because I want to spend as much time with them as possible. I want to travel, create amazing memories um, and not be limited by a corporate gig or by some other type of endeavor that just really weighs me down and chains me down. Um, In addition to my family, you know, I'm I'm involved in multiple different charitable endeavors uh, that are near and dear to my heart. So this gives me the flexibility and freedom to, to, uh, you know, to spend time and focus and, and help uh, causes, again, that are, that are really important to me. And, uh, you know, and so, again, cash flowing real estate, that, that's buying assets that provide cash flow into your bank account each and every month is, is, is the way to do that. Um, you know, real, real wealth, it's, it's really, 
it's, it's created and it grows over time by buying the right assets for the long term. And that's what we do by buying cash flow, cash flowing real estate investments. So the definition of a cash flow investor is that drip. It's that consistent paycheck that is going to come every single month or every quarter from the property, from the assets that you own. And in this case, we're talking commercial real estate assets. And so really, if you're a cash flow investor, it sounds like you're that person who's going out there, you're finding ways to put your money into assets that are going to deliver cash back on a regular basis. That's right. It's an annuity. It's an annuity. And I, I don't want to make it seem as though you know, appreciation. I mean, this isn't a cash flow versus an appreciation model, right? Because you can have both inside a cash flowing asset with you know forced appreciation. We we know. I don't know if your listener base. I'm sure they're uh, privy to what Savvy. that definition is, but yeah. So um, we, we can force appreciation. So we can have our cake and we can eat it too. Um, you know, I, creating this annuity allow you know gives you the time and freedom to to make other choices. Maybe it's to start another business. Maybe it's again to spend time with your family, to travel, what have you. You know, you and I both know we've been in this game for quite some time now, and I've got a lot of close friends that that are in real estate. They've got some incredibly successful businesses, uh, flipping homes, um, wholesaling homes. I, I know a guy that literally they rehab. I don't know how they do it. It literally it hurts my brain to think of it, but they literally rehab like three hundred plus houses a year. Uh, which hmm. is absolutely insanity to me. That's painful. I, can, I, I did oh 75 houses a year and I can't even imagine staying in and living that life every single day. But then again, you know, people find out what they're the best at, right? And they build a yeah, business. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree that the challenge with that model, now don't get me wrong, he's taking that capital. He, he's very intelligent with his money. He's taking the capital he's making from that business, which is very, very time consuming and putting it into cash flowing assets because he doesn't want to do that business forever, right? Like this isn't an attorney business for him. This is a means to an end. So he can stack enough cash, put it into passive investments so that he can get his time back. But I'll tell you, I, I think there's a simpler way, Stephen, to do it. I, I, you know, I, I don't know if you have to grind away that 15 years. You have to grind, mm. but you don't necessarily have to give up 15 years of your life, which again, mm. I'm not going to mention names. That's what these, these individuals do, I know. And I tell mm -hmm. you that they're, they're still grinding at 60, 80 hours a week. And mm -hmm. um, you got to put the time in, but you also like, you can't, you can't get those days back. And I, I think there's a smarter way. There's a more intelligent way to do it uh, and do it from the start and buy these larger assets, buy these commercial assets that are cash flowing from day one and can help you uh, achieve that lifestyle goal much quicker than, you know, waiting 10, 15, 20 years to do it. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, I had the realization, you know, short story was in single family, you know, was flipping, building this consistent business, you know, 200 houses in two and a half years and just looked around and realized there's got to be a better way. Wanted to pause from today's conversation to share something that's been heavy on my mind as I'm talking with investor after investor and I continuously hear this concern. It's the concern about inflation. We've seen some of the highest inflationary periods in the last 20 years, up 7.5%. Some believe inflation uh, is actually closer to 20%. But what does that mean for you? Well, at the core, it means when money is sitting in your bank account or it's not in assets that are hedging against inflation, that you're actually losing buying power. So what does that mean? It means other things around us are getting more expensive uh, and the dollars that are sitting in your bank account are becoming less valuable. So what do you do about it? Well, one of the best hedges against inflation is investing in real assets, specifically real assets like multifamily. And why is multifamily so powerful for hedging against inflation? Well, we've put together a phenomenal 30-minute 
purely educational webinar to be able to share with you why multifamily is such a powerful opportunity right now, why it makes sense to invest in a very hot market because inflation is so much hotter and exactly how you can get involved. Now, if you're interested in learning more and and educating yourself and potentially having the opportunity to get involved and actually hedge against inflation yourself, then I encourage you head over to investormindset.com slash start. That's investormindset.com slash start. And you can register for this 30-minute presentation that's gonna be able to bring you through all of the reasons that you need to know and understand to avoid some of the biggest common pitfalls when it comes to investing while also setting you up to invest to hedge against inflation through and through. Enjoy, and uh, let's get back to the episode. So tell the listeners why commercial real estate is that better way. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's a great question. You know, and I, and I want to say there, there's, there's literally nothing wrong with residential real estate. This isn't a, you know, you know, commercial, the best residential, you're wasting your time. Not at all. I mean, I've, in fact, I, I do think it's, it, it can be a great place to get started. I mean, that's how you got your start. That's how I got my start. We know plenty of people that still make great money investing in residential real estate. I just think there's a, there's a much more scalable model. You know, residential, you know, cost of entry is is lower, but there's creative ways to get into um, commercial real estate with a low cost of entry as well. You just got to be a little bit more strategic in doing so. Um, you know, residential's got you know amazing financing terms, but there's limitations to that as well, right? And so again, I don't want to. I definitely don't want to pound on residential and say, waste your time. Don't consider it. Yada, yada. That's just not. That's I do. I want to, I want to pound on it yeah. for a second. I mean, Fair look, enough, look I think you go I ahead think, and you go no, ahead and pound I, it. I'm going to, I'm going to stand but, up for both. But I think, I think it's great. <laughs> I think it's a great option, but once you understand that it's an entry point, unless it's much harder to build a business that's scalable on single yes. family. It's just really difficult well, to it. do something when a property is so different over and over again. It's great well, for like the yeah, onesie so twosie, but it's hard when you're talking about going and buying a hundred or 200. Well, so there you go. You, you hit the, you hit the, uh, the key word there, scalable, right? And you, you again, you had a, um, you had a booming business <laughs> again, 75 homes a year. That, that, that gives me a headache as well. It's just, I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of flips. That's a lot of uh, uh, projects. Still management. recovering from it. The yeah, coaches, I the bet. therapists, you know, it's like you got to work through that trauma of dealing with that many house flips. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and, and that was probably a tough go. You probably, you managed a lot of those roles when you were, you know, the first couple of years and, and just really challenging to hire people when you don't have a lot of revenue coming in. Right. And so it's one commercial real estate deal, again, you could go out and buy a $10 million property and just from the asset management fees uh, alone can probably justify being able to hire some additional staff, maybe mm-hmm. a, 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 an assistant or maybe a, someone else in your team that can help start taking those responsibilities away from you. And so buying mm-hmm. two, three commercial deals, you might have an entire team underneath you now that allows you to focus on what your best skill set is. And maybe that's raising capital. Maybe that's finding deals. Like you don't want to spend time in the minutia behind the scenes, the, you know, the operational side of the business, you want to be out there doing what you're the best at, whatever that might be. And so I think you can get there a lot faster by buying larger assets, you know, i.e. commercial, commercial real estate. In addition to that, you know, it's um, I'd say that, and again, there's many different 
asset types that fall underneath the commercial umbrella. And so I, I want to make sure that there's no confusion here. And so multifamily, I, I know that that's the space that you're in, Stephen. Um, and so I'm going to take that out of the equation for this particular part of the conversation. And you know, the remainder of the asset classes, most of them, again, industrial, retail, office, hospitality, yada, yada, yada. I mean, like there's a lot of other ones there. Um, for the most part, t- hospitality is a little tricky right now with COVID, right? It's, it's one that's been impacted fairly significantly. But generally speaking, if you're buying a prime piece of real estate, you're getting a much higher tenant base that you're dealing with in those types of assets I just mentioned. And a lot, lots of times you're getting longer term leases as well. You're not necessarily doing just a annual lease. These are 5, 10, 15, sometimes 20 year leases. Uh, there's an opportunity to buy uh, properties that are on triple net leases, which is l- literally about as passive of real estate that you can have. So you can have really high quality tenants that have incredibly long-term leases and they're triple net leases. Again, that's just one type of, of, of commercial uh, real estate investment. But like that, those types of investments are about as passive as real estate becomes. And so uh, again, just many different ways to skin the cat with commercial investments. And I just, I think it allows you to get bigger, much faster and hire the team, right? Hire the team that's necessary to operate your business. It doesn't have to be a huge team, but hire those necessary skill sets that allow you to not have to grind at 50, 60, 70 hours a week to give you the freedom, give you the lifestyle that you so choose. Yeah. I think that's such a great way to put it, Kevin. I couldn't agree more. It's, it's interesting because you know, single family, people need to live in homes and even big companies like Blackstone and some of these other invitation homes have found a way to scale uh, buying single family homes and they're creating a profitable model. And so it's absolutely doable. But when you go into something like you're talking about on the commercial side, non-residential, you know, there's some big advantages. I'd love to hear about what are some of the advantages in your eyes of going after something like a triple net or an industrial or, or one of these types of properties that are different than what a lot of people think of when they think of real estate um, and just kind of compare and contrast. Cause I know you've invested in quite a few different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think I, and I just mentioned a couple of them. So, you know, using the, uh, you know, the, uh, a triple net or, and that could be, that could be a retail triple net or that can be an industrial triple net. I mean, both of them are, you know, commonly have triple net leases in place. And again, I think one of the big ones is the, you know, the quality of the tenant, you know, uh, instead of having a individual that's, you know, working a job, renting a, a home from you or an apartment from you, um, that if they lose their job, you know, they're not gonna be able to pay their rent. And you base it on credit scores and things like that as well. But with a, with a commercial tenant, again, let's, maybe it's a Walgreens or maybe it's another um, national brand that's in a retail location they have, or if it's on the industrial side of things, it could be a fortune 500 company, a large manufacturing company, but basically you're dealing with most of the times you're dealing with a higher um, a higher class of tenant, someone that's going to have a corporate guarantee in place, which gives you uh, much needed security on that lease agreement. Because again, these leases are, you know, can be as short as five years and can be, I've seen leases as long as 25 years. And in that scenario, again, just you're dealing with, you know, Betty and Bob that are renting the apartment, have a job, the chances they might lose their job versus you're dealing with the Walgreens on the other side. And so I think that there's, um, uh, you know, the risk associated with one is much greater than the other. So yeah. one could also argue the point, I, you know, I can argue from both sides of the table and that, that's why yeah, let's hear the a, cons too. That, yeah, like that, what's, that's, what's the that, downside of that and how do you overcome it? 
Yeah, so I, I gave it a, a great example of the downside. So getting locked into a 10-year triple net lease, most of these leases have um, annual increases or escalators mm-hmm. in them. And most of the time, it's if it's not directly tied to CP, a lot of times it's just a percentage. If it's mm. a smartly release, then it's actually tied to CPI, which obviously there's there's some uh, there's some changes that can occur. It can kind of ebb and flow with CPI, and so right now with this high inflationary environment, one could argue that if you've got a triple net lease, even if it's with a Walgreens, that's great, and you've got eight years left on a ten year lease, um, but the annual uh, escalators are only three percent. Well, you and I both know that inflation. No one knows what the real number is, but one could argue probably that mm. it's 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 double digits, right? And so you're actually losing out in that scenario being the landlord because you're locked into this lease. It can't be changed. Um, you know, now at the end of that term, you know, y- you can ultimately reset if you're going to sign another lease, whether it be with Walgreens or another credit tenant, you can obviously reset it to whatever market is at that point in time and hopefully start trying to recapture some of that value that you lost over the years. Um, but in a, in, a, in a residential scenario, you've got annual leases. Uh, assuming mm-hmm. you've got annual leases, some people have month to month, but in a normal sense, you've got an annual lease. Guess what? You can reset that rent to market, which we know has been happening uh, a lot over the past year or two um, in, the, in the apartment space, in the single family rental space. And so you're not stuck into that long-term lease that doesn't allow you to um, capture you know, inflation, which is, again, just running rampant at this present time. So again, kind of pros and cons of both. Um, and and I, again, that's why this isn't a one's better than the other. However, I do think that, again, commercial is a much more scalable option. Um, you know, going out and buying $10 million worth of commercial real estate is, is a much easier feat than deploying $10 million of, of equity into single family homes, uh, going out and trying to buy a package or, you know, assembling a package of, of single family properties. And then in addition to that, the management inefficiencies that exist with the, with the single family, you know, buying a bunch of single family homes that so even if they're, you know, in the same area, you know, if they're within a couple miles of each other, the inefficiencies are real and, and they mm-hmm. catch up to you fairly quickly. It sounded like you were, you were not in a rental model. Were you mostly flipping your homes or did you actually build a rental portfolio as well when you're in the residential space? So we built some rental, uh, we built somewhat of a rental portfolio, but we really focused heavily on flipping okay. and we started holding on to properties. And that's when I really saw that, Hey, I thought I had built this pipeline of deals and it was really difficult to hold on to something and to get a couple hundred dollars of cash flow or potentially yeah. even breaking even versus flipping it, making 20, 30, 50 grand. So um, we were definitely heavily focused on flipping, but we really saw how tough it is and how really expenses can go wild. And, you know, I think a lot of single, I think a lot of people, when they think of real estate, their first thought is, oh, you're talking about buying a rental home. And then they think, oh, it'll be passive because I'm going to put a property manager in place. But then they forget that the property manager's incentive is only 6% right? There's not alignment of incentive or alignment of interest because, you know, if it's a thousand dollars a month in rent, they're making $60 a month. They don't care if the maintenance guy comes out there and that costs 250 versus, you know, sending someone out to just check on something for a few bucks. It ends up really kind of creating a scenario where you really do have to asset manage your properties. And that's, I think what drives a lot of people who have experience and they have a bad experience yeah. uh, renting or managing single families leads them towards, you know, people like us who are experts in our space and go out and, and take care of the rest. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, and I think it sounds like you've had that, that experience. I've had that experience uh, years past when we I owned a, over 100 single family properties and, and had them as all rentals. And, um, you know, what, what you start finding is that that um, that misalignment of, of interest, uh, again, if they're charging five or six percent, um, you know, they're going to beat you up on the other line items. Either they're just not going to care at all. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to handle maintenance issues. Uh, or they're going to handle them and they're going to be at an inflated uh, price. And ultimately you're going to find that your cash flow is, um, is going out the door. It's, it's going into maintenance and repairs that are probably inflated prices that might not even need done, right? Like things might not have never broken, but you've got an invoice, you're eight States away. You're not going to fly there just for, you know, just to check on the single family home that supposed needs a new water heater and a new stove. And guess what? That one single family home, if you've got to replace a water heater and a stove in one, you know, one year period of time, that's probably going to wipe out a good portion of your, of your cash flow for that entire year. And so it's just, uh, you know, and then if you lose that tenant, this is the big part that we didn't need. You didn't hit on, I didn't hit on yet. If you lose that, if you have, if we're talking about single family mm-hmm. homes here and you lose that tenant, you are effectively hundred percent vacant at that point in time. And you know, right now there's in, incredibly high demand for, for rentals. And so we're at a, you know, kind of a unique time in that even in tertiary markets, you know, rental homes are flying off the shelves. There's a demand for, if it's a decent market, not in a declining area and people aren't moving out in droves, um, then there's a huge demand for, for housing. But when you turn a single family home, you and I both know when you turn one of these single family homes, if it's a standard, you know, 1500 square feet, you're probably going to have to probably do either replace flooring if it's got carpet or, you know, if you put vinyl in there, maybe not, uh, you're going to, have to probably repaint it. You're going to have to do some other odds and ends. It's going to be vacant for probably two months while you turn it. And more than likely that the cost of that turn would have eaten up the majority of the cash flow that you would have made in that one given year. And so you just start all over again. Now I know that, uh, you know, tenants are typically stickier. Uh, we're starting to talk about single family homes and they might be in an apartment space, but it doesn't matter. That cash flow goes out the window incredibly quickly when you have to turn a unit or when you have to deal with the property management company and, and repairs and maintenance. And again, all the efficiencies that exist on that side of the coin. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it is, it's, it's a challenging place to be. And that's why it makes a lot of sense to really figure out, Hey, what's going to be best. What are the best places for people to put money? And so when you're looking at asset classes from your perspective, and from your experience, what are some of the asset classes that you like the most for cash flow right now in today's environment? You know, that's that's a great question. You know, and um, you know, you know, the simple truth is everyone needs a roof over their head. And I think that you know anyone that's coming from a single family or a, you know residential investment space and moving into the commercial side, the the the, the, the two asset classes that are incredibly easy to understand is multifamily and mobile home parks. They're both, they're both multifamily investments. This one mm-hmm. looks slightly different than the other one, right? Uh, but, but one cannot argue that everyone does need a roof over their head. And so I think it's much easier to understand both of those asset classes. And, uh, and they're both phenomenal places to, you know, to generate cash flow and, and significant returns on your capital. Um, you know, I, I think it, it takes a slightly uh, better understanding of the marketplace and also uh, the various industries that you might be serving when you start venturing into, for example, like industrial space or retail space. Cause in those scenarios, now you're not just, you're not just basing uh, your investment on the marketplace itself or on the, in the asset class, but now you're equally as much underwriting the actual tenant um, in a very different sense than what you might be actually you know, doing a credit or background check on a residential tenant. 
now you have to get a firm understanding of, of the, you know, company's financials, um, the chances, uh, chances of them succeeding or not succeeding, what have you, which takes a slight higher level of sophistication. So not, not that you can't go that route right out of the gate, but I just think that housing is much easier to understand. And again, everyone needs it. So enter, enter the space through housing because it's really easy to understand. We've all lived in a house. We can understand what are some of those core things we look for. We've kind of dealt with that as somebody moves from that place, right? That's where our focus is. That's where your focus is. As someone moves into another asset class, say something that isn't based specifically on people, how should they go about thinking about the process of selecting the right operator or the right team to kind of enter that space and really understand, okay, we're going to, we're going to do well here. Yeah. I, I'm going to back up a little bit. Cause I, you know, you, you can make, you can make a ton of money in every different asset class that, that, w- that we've discussed uh, and, and getting into like more the niche, you know, commercial side of thing, you start talking about like assisted living and then, you know, parking lots, which we also invest in um, medical office space or self-storage and, you know, the list goes on and on. And, you can make money in any, there's, there's not one right or one wrong place that you can or cannot make money. I think what you have to do is get a general understanding of, of all the different types that are out there and find one that you feel is best in alignment with your skill sets, your interests. I mean, for example, assisted living, don't get me wrong. Like I love taking care of people, but I'm not, I, I don't have a caretaker mentality. And I think you actually really need that to, to thrive in that space. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a real estate play, but it's equal amounts of business play, but it's mm-hmm. a people play. And that, you know, we, we care for our tenants and we, you know, you know, provide them with amenities and try to give them a great experience living in our mobile home parks. It's a very different world in the assisted living space. And I would say that that space, if you're going to get into it, uh, it might not be best suited for your personality type. And so uh, don't, don't, don't follow the shiny object and, you know, listen to Steven talk about multifamily and think that that's the only way to make money or listen to me talk about mobile home parks and parking and think that's the only way to make money. Kevin's killing it. That means that I can kill it there too. Cause you can kill it in just about any asset class that's out there. Uh, maybe not, maybe not hotels during two years of COVID uh, mm-hmm. unless they were like resort hotels on the beach down here in Florida. But generally speaking um, you can make money in, in any asset class. So find the one that is, best in alignment with you, your personality, your lifestyle. And, um, and, and there will, will be one in there that, that fits your needs. Um, so again, that, that's a very vague answer to your question of like, where do they go after multifamily mobile home parks? They don't go anywhere. It's not that one's better than the other. So maybe they find that just like you, I mean, mobile, uh, multifamily apartments, like this is it. This is a space that I'm passionate about. This is a place that I enjoy being. I enjoy the team that I'm working with. I've met some phenomenal people that I've partnered with over the years. And this is it. This is for me. I feel the same way about mobile home parks. I know that sounds kind of goofy to say, but like, I really enjoy the space. I enjoy the industry. I enjoy the people that we serve. Um, you know, we provide a, a phenomenal uh, type of affordable housing to the different marketplaces that we are in. And uh, it's, it's suited for me. It's allowed me to create a lifestyle um, of, of my dreams, but also I've been able to positively impact a lot of our residents that we, that mm-hmm. we provide housing for. Right. And so it's mm-hmm. a win-win all the way around. So there, again, there's not like a, well, where do I go after that? You might not go anywhere. And I will continue to say that, you know, parking lots, you've heard me mention parking lots. We started investing in parking lots about, about two years ago. Now, this is me. This is kind of my philosophy. I, I, I've always considered myself a little bit of a contrarian investor and, and going the opposite direction of the herd. That, that's not a good or bad thing. You can make a plenty of money going with the herd as well. But mobile home parks 10 years ago, 
it was not sexy. Um, institutional capital, private equity firms, they could care less about that asset class. I mean, everyone stubbed their nose up at it. It was really challenging to get financing. Most, you know, you know, maybe nine or nine out of every 10 banks you talk to didn't understand it. You'd have to find that one that actually would lend on it. It's a very different world today. Now there's billions of dollars of institutional capital pouring into the space. And, um, it's a little more challenging to, to, you know, to find the opportunity. And so what once was a, a kind of an undiscovered niche, now it's been discovered. And so parking lots became that other undiscovered niche for us, you know, again, kind of a contrarian investment, um, finding, you know, cash flowing parking lots that are owned by mom and pop operators, which mobile home parks were incredibly fragmented a decade ago. That space has become very consolidated. Apartments 30 years ago were very fragmented. Now they're very consolidated. Self-storage 20 years ago was incredibly fragmented. Mom and pop ownership, it's quickly becoming consolidated. Parking lots, parking lots are probably the most fragmented niche that I know of at present time. And so there's opportunity in the niches, you know, I think there's someone wrote a book says there's riches in niches. And I believe that, and you know, parking lots fits that need for us and, and our philosophy and how we like to invest. And so well, I, again, I, there's nothing right or wrong about that, but that, that's just, that's kind of how we go about finding the asset classes that are best suited for us. Well, I, I love the philosophy. And I, when we first started talking about parking lots, I already knew the model have looked at it and just thought, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You know, there's definitely cash flow. You're buying an asset. You're understanding what's the usability of it. How can we improve it? Where can we add value? I think that's really, really smart. I want to just further back up your view that it it makes a lot of sense. Figure out something that you're passionate about, that you care about, that you can learn something about, so that when you're investing those dollars into your whatever asset that is, that you have some interest in the end result that you know enough to know that it's a good deal, that you have enough interest to be able to look at it. Now, many people I know, they're not interested in getting that deep, but you got to get at least deep enough to be able to build that relationship with a sponsor to be able to know that they're going to be a good shepherd of your dollars. Now we invest heavily in multifamily, but really what we're investing in is value add. We really believe that that ROI is created, that we go and discover it. And then we create it out of thin air and we can apply that model to just about anything. I mean, we uh, very separately have a, an NFT fund. Do, am I an expert in NFTs? No, but I went and found somebody who's an expert. Mm-hmm. We put together some capital and we went and raised money in that space. And we've you know made a four or five X return within a very short amount of time because that space is insane. Now I wouldn't bet my life on it, but it's sometimes you need to understand what money is going to go into what buckets. And I think a big mistake, and maybe you've seen this with some of your clients that I hear people talk about is they say, well, I've got one multifamily property. I've got one mobile home property. Now I need to go find something in another asset class. And there's benefit with that, but there's a lot of downside. And talk to me about what you think the downside might be. Yeah. Well, I mean, focus, come on. I mean, just you're never going to master anything um, if you can't keep focused on it for a period of time. And that's, that's not going to, that's not like four months. You can't like, you know, be listening to podcasts, reading books, go buy one mobile home park. And now all of a sudden, like you are the master of mobile home parks or multifamily, whatever, you'll pick the asset class. And now you're moving on to the next one. At some point you're going to be more prone and maybe maybe it is on that second deal. You're going to be more prone to make a mistake, maybe buying a bad market, maybe not fully understand the operational side of that particular new business that you're going to buy. Because again, um, you, you haven't taken the time to master it. And the only way that you can do that is by this repetition, literally just, you know, 
buying more assets, understanding the industry, being you know knee deep in the industry, um, knowing everyone, the hitters in the industry, and uh, networking with them, and learning you know the challenges that they face and the mistakes they've made, how to avoid those same mistakes, right? Like don't just you know, don't reinvent the wheel. Just follow those that are already on the trajectory that you want to be on. And again, it's hard to do that when you're focus and you know you're shifting all over the place all the time and so again like the you know i, I spoke to, to, to mobile home parks but then also us buying parking lots it literally took us eight years eight years to actually even consider um you know kind of going out of our our little comfort zone and buying another asset class now don't get me wrong i've got passive investments uh, as an lp in multifamily. I've got it in uh, assisted living. I've got it in medical office and self-storage and, and a few others. Um, and I understand all those asset classes from a high level. Um, I've taken a lot of time to get to know the sponsors, understand their track record. And, you know, there's a, the ones that I've kind of picked out. I mean, I'm, I'm betting on the horse. I'm betting on the horse in that scenario. I'm not a master in any of those other asset classes. I stay my lane and I'm a master in the mobile home park space. But again, it took me eight years to even consider letting another space come into my brain, you know, for us to actually take on as a company. And we studied yeah. parking lots. We literally attended conferences, um, national conferences. There's, there's three industry associations for two years, uh, flew experts into Tampa, spent, you know, a day with them, you know, just literally picking their brain, spent two years doing this before we bought our first parking lot. Right. Not that I didn't want to buy one sooner, but like, I just, I didn't know what I didn't know. And maybe that was a little too slow, but like, the park, the, the parking assets that we purchased at present, you know, up to this point in time have been phenomenal winners. Right. And so, um, but it's taken time to get there. And I don't think you can ever get there if you're, you know, all over the place looking at a million different types of asset classes. So anyway, yeah. just this my, kind of my, my two cents there, if, again, back to the whole point of you can make money in any different type of real estate, right? Pick, pick one, pick the one that is best suited for you and just avoid all the other noise. Just, Tune it out. Don't look on social media because everyone's making a ton of money on social media and all the different types of investments that they're doing. Just yeah. try, try to try to zone it out, for, you know, for, for the that period of time. Now, if you're just if you're just a high if you're a high income earner, so let's there's two different sides of this coin here. So we're kind of talking to like, you know, your business and my business. Like these are our businesses. Like like we're operationally involved in these businesses. Um, you know, if we're speaking right now in this through this podcast, our listener is high income earning. Yeah, so high, so high income earning. They've got to invest passively. That's it. That's it. So a little different, a little different there, right? And so um, I do think that one uh, can you know learn enough, get comfortable with particular asset classes in a shorter period of time than two years, like I said, with parking lots. Um, study the asset classes figure out who, are the, who the different sponsors are uh, within those particular asset classes and, you know, interview them, get to know them, get to know the team, you know, go view their projects that go out in the field, you know, spend, spend intimate time with them. Because at, again, at the end of the day, your track record is important and you're betting on the horse. You're betting on that sponsor to, you know, you know, uh, treat you well and, and, and you know, do right by your investment and, and run the property. Like they say, they're going to run it. And, uh, um, I, I, you know, you absolutely can do that and be di diversified. Like I just mentioned, I, I am, I've got investments in a bunch. I wouldn't know how to run an assisted living facility, but I've got, you know, a good bit of money and a few different assisted living facilities. I, I, have, I would have no idea. I've no space from a high level, 
feel comfortable with it. Love the sponsor track record speaks volumes and um, I'll put my money there all day long. So I, I agree. And I, I think that diversification is phenomenal and we definitely promote it and tote it as a, a feature and a benefit. But I think sometimes people focus on diversification for the sake of diversification. And it actually, when you're focused in one place, even as a passive investor, you can end up finding different nuances that will allow you to create a higher rate of income faster. Mm -hmm. So wrapping up, this has been phenomenal. The book is called The Cashflow Investor. Kevin, where can people get a copy? Go to Amazon. Go to Amazon. Just type in my name or Cashflow Investor uh, or go to cashflowinvestor.com. Either one of those two places, you can grab a copy. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Really awesome to dive in. Everyone should go out and grab a copy of The Cashflow Investor and... Uh, take some action with the lessons that we learned today. Thanks, Kevin. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.